And we have hovered over the um, uh, last five or six verses for about six weeks, talking about the Spirit and assorted things. And now we're going to bite off a whole nother four verses. We're picking up speed here. So we're dealing with uh, Luke chapter 1, verses 45 through 49. I want to entitle this, The Merry Blessed Kingdom. Scott, I think, did a marvelous job two weeks ago, kind of doing a uh, panoramic uh, study of, amen, the, um, uh, this, this whole section of Scripture we're dealing with. And now I'm going to chunk it down some. So verses 45 through 49. The background here, as you know, is that... Um, uh, Mary has been told that she will supernaturally conceive and, and uh, carry the Son of God. And Elizabeth has been told she's going to supernaturally conceive and she'll be carrying John the Baptist. So Mary went to see Elizabeth, who was a distant cousin, and they're having this conversation. So Elizabeth says this, Blessed is she who has believed what the Lord has said would be accomplished. And Mary said, and here she breaks forth in a song. It's called Mary's Song, or, or sometimes the, Mag, the, the Magnificat. Uh, she says, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. And the, the simple question actually isn't that simple, but it sounds simple. The simple question I want to ask this morning is, what does it mean when, when Mary says, I'll be called blessed for all generations, or when Elizabeth says, blessed are you for you have believed what the Lord will accomplish through you? What does that mean? And I first want to talk about what it doesn't mean, and then I want to talk about what it does mean. But before I get involved in that, I want us to pray. I want us to really pray. In fact, I feel led not just to pray for this message, but for us as a kingdom people to enter into agreement and just cover several things uh, that need to be covered in prayer. There's power in prayer that God has set aside, a reservoir of power to be accessed by, by us communicating with him. And there's powers in number. There's powers in agreement. You know that? Uh, when we're like-minded. So I'd like us all to stand, if we could, just for a moment here. And I want to lead us in a corporate prayer. I want us to, as kingdom people, access the power that God's laid aside in heaven uh, to be released through prayer. And I'll, and I'll lead at this prayer. You just be in agreement with me. You can pray out loud if you want as well. I'd like you to join hands to the person next to you. And let's all unite together and going before our Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, that you, by your grace, have made us kingdom people and that you have empowered us to align our hearts with your hearts in prayer to see your will done on earth as it is in heaven. And so right now, Lord, we come before you in a world that is tremendously troubled at the present time, and we ask God for your peace and your blessing. Uh, Lord God, for the people that are struggling in Pakistan in the light of this uh, earthquake, we pray for them, Lord God, blessing on them. And for those who are still struggling in the light of Hurricane Katrina, we pray blessing on them and other natural disasters, the mudslides in Guatemala. Lord God, we just pray, we, use our, we cash in our kingdom chips for those folks and pray your blessing and, and that you'd raise up people, Lord God, to help uh, the, the poor and the needy and others who are, who are really affected by this, Lord God. We pray, Lord God, for all those who are the growing fear around the world with this bird flu virus. 
And God, we just pray that you'd be giving your people a peace that passes understanding and a wisdom to know how to respond to this. And Lord God, we use the authority that we have in the spiritual realm to even pray against that in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Father, we pray for our brother, uh, Patrick Showers, one of our, our ministers here, who's laying in a hospital bed right now. And we together agree in Jesus' name, uh, Lord, that you have defeated sin, death, sickness, and the devil on the cross. And we apply the victory of the cross to him right here and right now. And we speak together healing into his back and healing into his legs, Lord God. Manifest your power in his life right here and right now. Let it be done, Lord God. Let the healing power of God flow over him. And wrap your arms around uh, him and his family and his children, Lord God. And let that peace that passes understanding be with them, Lord God. And Lord God, while he's out, we pray for, for our children's ministry, Lord, that you'd send your spirit and send your fire and send your power on our children's ministry, Lord God. Lord God, give the, the, the children's pastors wisdom and, and knowing how to reach these kids, Lord God, and spirit be moving over there. Right now, as we're doing this over here, be moving over there. And Father, we together agree uh, for our youth, uh, our young people in our church, Lord God. We pray that you'd send your fire on them, Lord God. Baptize them in your fire, Lord God. Let the anointing come down on them, Lord God. Turn these kids into radical kingdom disciples who really do love their enemies, Lord God, who swim upstream in this culture, who've got a radical, passionate love for Jesus Christ, Lord God. We pray blessing on them. And for our small group ministry, we agree together, Lord God, that you'd, you'd, you'd bless the small group ministry, Lord God. Be bringing people into covenant relationships together, Lord God, and anoint our small groups to be doing kingdom work in Jesus' name. And for, Lord God, the, the worship ministry and the greeting ministry and all the other areas of the church, Lord God, we just pray blessing on them. Lord, let your power come forth. Anoint every area of ministry in this church that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And now, Lord God, we pray that you'd anoint this message here, Lord. Let it go forth in spirit and in power, in, in, in spirit and in truth. And let it, Lord God, do the kingdom work in our lives and our hearts that needs to be done. We ask this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. God bless you. You can be seated. All right. What does it mean to say that Mary was blessed? I first want to say what it does not mean. And then I'll say what it does mean. Here's, here's part of what it does not mean. When I was a kid, um, I, you know, I, I was, uh, went to Catholic school every day of my life. I was raised in a strong Irish Catholic church. And God bless, if you're Catholic here, we love you. We just love you. Don't take anything I'm going to say here personally. Uh, There's a little disagreement, but, but uh, it's cool. We're cool. Um, but what I was taught was that Mary was blessed for a number of reasons. She was blessed because, first of all, she didn't have original sin. She was specially anointed by God because she did not have original sin. Uh, and, and I was taught that it was important that she didn't have original sin. I never figured out what original sin was, but uh, whatever it was, Mary didn't have it. And she, it was important that she didn't have it because uh, that's how Jesus could be born without it. Which got me thinking in second grade, how did Mary get it? Uh, if you can only be free from original sin, if your parent is free from original sin, then Mary's mother must have been free from original sin, and so her grandmother must have been free from original sin, so her great-great-grandmother must have been free from original sin, and now you're wondering where original sin ever came into the program. Uh, that never was explained to me. If anyone has got insight into that, uh, let me know. I was thoroughly confused. But she was blessed because she didn't have original sin. She was also blessed because she never had sex. That's what we were taught. Uh, we, we prayed to the eternal blessed virgin. She was an eternal virgin. Uh, she was blessed because I was taught she never died. Uh, the immaculate uh, ascension. <laughs> There's a conception the ascension. And she ascended into heaven, it was taught. 
and, and that was a sign of her blessing. And probably most importantly, she was blessed because I was taught uh, she intercedes on behalf of the saints. As the mother of God, she has a unique role to play in interceding on behalf of the saints. And so we can go to Mary, and Mary will then go to Jesus uh, on our behalf. And that is why all generations call her blessed. That's the teaching I received as a young kid. And I want to say that that, that teaching was, was very powerful for me as a child. Um, it was very meaningful to me as a kid. Uh, I had a few few behavioral problems uh, as a child going to this very strict pre-Vatican Catholic environment. And I was always in trouble, always screwing up. Always. And so uh, my idea of authority is that authorities were always mad at me. And so I really thought the Father, Son, the Holy Ghost just always ticked off at me. And I didn't even talk to them, honestly. I, I, I gave up hope on the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. If I was assigned an Our Father as part of my confessional uh, uh, penance, I would pray in Our Father. But on the whole, I just went to Mary. Because there's something, there's something about Mary. Uh, something about Mary. There's a tenderness there. The one tender person I felt I had going for me in the heavenly council was Mary. Uh, I would go to, to St. Patrick's Church. We had to go to Mass every morning. Get off the bus and do our 45-minute Mass. And they did the Mass in Latin. So you take an ADHD kid, put him in a Latin Mass every morning, and it's not much of a wonder that I had behavioral problems. But uh, I, there was a statue of Mary, this beautiful statue of Mary, up at the front of this, this church. And I used to just sit there and stare at that, that, uh, that statue. And I just loved Mary. It, it, she looked so tender and sweet and serene and calm. And I just loved Mary. And, and so I just talked to Mary. It's like, Mary, you know I don't have a shot at this thing. We well, put in a good word. <laughs> you know, I, I, I don't know how it works up there, but, but you're the only one I got. And I, I, would, I would say, Hail Mary's, uh, until I was blue in the face. And I just, I just loved Mary. There was a tenderness that, that was, was, was there. So this teaching about Mary was, was, was very uh, important to me as a kid. I used to actually, you know, fantasize her being my mother. Um, you know, I used to picture myself in her arms uh, instead of Jesus. It's like, I, there I am. Because I really was, in my environment growing up, I didn't really have a, a mother's love there very much. And, and so Mary kind of played that surrogate role. I actually would sometimes think of her as my girlfriend, too. <laughs> that was that a little weird. Yeah. <laughs> Second grade, it's like, that's probably why they got me into a therapist. But, but uh, Mary, the point was Mary played a real important role for me uh, growing up. But as meaningful as that was and as understandable as that was, um, I, I've now come to see that some of that thinking, I think, was, was, was pretty incorrect, and some of it can actually have negative ramifications in our life. So I want to kind of go through how I think Mary is not blessed. I don't think she's blessed because she was an, an eternal or is an eternal virgin, that she always stayed a virgin. It's true that Mary conceived of Jesus as a virgin. Yes, certainly. But there's no indication in the Bible that she stayed a virgin after Jesus was born. In fact, there's good evidence that she didn't. Uh, she had natural relationships with Joseph after Jesus was born. Uh, in Matthew 1, it says that Joseph ha didn't have any marital relationships with Mary, uh, any sexual relationships with Mary, until she had born a son and he named him Jesus. The until indicates that certainly, of course, Obviously, after Jesus was born, they got together the way married people are supposed to get together. In Mark 6, uh, Jesus is coming to his hometown, and the people there are very skeptical that, that Jesus is the Messiah. And they say things like this, is this. Isn't this the carpenter? 
Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Which were just very, very common male names in the first century. Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And the idea here is, is that the hometown people are saying, how can he be the Messiah? He's got, you know, he's a carpenter for crying out loud. He's got normal brothers. He's got normal sisters. He's, he's, he's part of a normal family. Apparently Joseph, by the way, had been deceased at this point because they don't mention Joseph. But they're saying this guy's just ordinary. How can he be the Messiah? The point I'm making here, however, is this. The passage presupposes that, like all other Jewish families, Jesus had biological brothers and sisters. So also in Matthew chapter 12, it says, While Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. Actually, at this point, they were suspecting that he'd gone mad because he was indicating that he thought he was God, and they wanted to take him home. But the passage presupposes that Jesus had a biological mother, of course, and had biological brothers. Also in the book of Galatians, Paul is listing the people that he talked to after he received his revelation and and it was converted to following Christ. And he talked to some apostles, but then he says, I saw no other apostles except for James, the Lord's brother. So clearly, Jesus had a brother named James, and Paul knew him. Uh, Jesus had a biological brother. So however Mary was blessed, she wasn't blessed uh, by virtue of the fact that she was a virgin all her life. Now, honestly, if you ask me, uh, the sexual relationships between Joseph and Mary are none of our business. Uh, how much or how little sex they had is not none of our business. But what concerns me and what kind of makes it our business is not that, but rather the reasons people give for why they think Mary could not have had or should not have had sexual relationships with Joseph. And the reasons that are traditionally given is that there's something unholy about sex. Mary is so holy she never had sex, which entails that there's something unholy about sex. And now I'm concerned, and now it is our business. Because as we saw last week, as we talked about last week, there is nothing unholy about sex inside of marriage. In fact, there's something absolutely godly, holy, and wonderful about sex within marriage. The church understood that up until about the, the late 4th or 5th century when St. Augustine adopted some very pagan ideas about sex and brought them into the church and came up with this idea that sex passes on original sin. Uh, they had this idea of, of, of sex, even in marriage, as sort of passing on a sexually transmitted disease, and the sexually transmitted disease was original sin. So you're propagating the fall when you have sex, even within the context of, uh, of marriage. And so throughout church history, the, the church has tended to have a, a fairly negative view of sex even in the context of marriage. The attitude was expressed very well by St. Jerome when he says, if you must copulate, don't, uh, don't do it with passion. Uh, don't enjoy it for crying out loud. It's better if you don't get married, and that's why the church started requiring priests to be celibate. Um, it was seen as being more holy, more virtuous to, to have it that way. Uh, the church began to I can't go into this very much, but, but it's, it's really pretty bizarre. They began to rule out sexual relationships on certain days of the week. Sunday was out because that's the day Jesus rose from the dead. Friday was out because that's the day he died on the cross. Uh, Wednesday was out because that was, you know, Ash Wednesday. And, and it got down to be three days a week. And then there's special religious holidays that you had uh, to honor. And at one point in history, uh, the, sex had, the, the sex had ruled out the church. No, the church had ruled out sex every day of the week or, or um, uh, uh, Throughout the year, except for 46 days. 
Uh, couples could have sex 46 days out of the year. And now, you know, you've got the normal reasons why people sometimes don't have normal sexual relationships, menstrual cycles, and things like that. And if the timing's off, even those 46 days are out, which is why people, if you've ever noticed, people in the Middle Ages were always frustrated and always miserable, and this is part of the reason. <laughs> we just, as, as I said last week, and I know that, you know, here I'm having two messages back-to-back that touch on the topic of sex. So some of you are going to think that I'm obsessed with this topic. I'm not. It's just kind of a coincidence. I mean, he always preaches about sex. No, I don't. Uh, I'm just doing it. It is one of my favorite topics. But uh, it happens to be twice back-to-back. We've got to get this down. The Bible doesn't say anything about about sex passing on original sin. In fact, the Bible doesn't talk about original sin the way the church tradition often talk about it. It's sort of this thing that gets passed on uh, through, you know, it's transmitted sexually. Rather, the Bible celebrates, uh, in very bold terms, sexuality in the context of marriage. In fact, the reason why the Bible has strong restraints around sexual activity outside of marriage is not because God doesn't, is trying to keep us from something. It's because God is trying to keep us from missing out on something. And what he doesn't want us to miss out on, for those who are called to be married, is the beauty of sex in the context of marriage. This is too good, too godly, too holy, too wonderful, too ecstatic, too much in the image of God to squander it ordinary, to make it a common thing. It's like a diamond. It's precious, so you've got to, put, uh, you've got to protect it. And, and the, the safeguards around sexual expression are there to protect the beauty and the glory of, of, of sex within marriage. But the Bible celebrates sexuality. God's first command to human beings was have sex. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. What's the first thing God says? Be fruitful and multiply. Well, there's only one way to do that, all right? Uh, it, it, this comes from God. It expresses some of the adventure and creativity and joy that God is. And throughout the Bible, we see the Bible celebrating sexuality in that context. Song of Solomon, as I said last week, climb up the palm tree and grab the fruit. Uh, the Bible is not a prudish book. It, uh, it, 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 it says that, that, that this is something that, in the right context, glorifies God. It's a holy thing. Paul even goes so far in Ephesians chapter 5 to draw an analogy between the sexual union of a man and a woman in the context of marriage on the one hand and Christ's relationship to the church on the other hand. However Mary is blessed, it wasn't because she remained a virgin uh, after Jesus was born. If Mary had taken a vow to abstain from sex uh, in her marriage, that wouldn't have made her more holy. Arguably, it would have made her less holy. In fact, if Mary took a vow to abstain from sex while married to Joseph, I, I vote that, that it's Mary, not Mary that should be canonized, it's Joseph. Uh, he should be given sainthood. And instead of celebrating uh, the, the eternal virgin you know, the, of Mary, we should celebrate the, the, the blessed patience of Joseph. The point is that in the context of marriage, this is a blessed thing. We've got to purge ourselves of every vestige of this idea that there's anything intrinsically unholy about sex in the context of marriage. Rather, we need to proclaim it. We need to celebrate it. Uh, part of the reason why, at least uh, some argue that part of the reason why our culture right now is on this pendulum swing of decadence is, is an overreaction to this, this really unhealthy view of sexuality that the church has had throughout history. It, it's the Christian church that should be celebrating the glory and the ecstasy of sex. So Mary's blessedness is not found in her virginity. 
nor is her blessedness found in the claim that she did not die, that she ascended into heaven. There's no evidence of that in the Bible whatsoever. Nor is there any evidence, and this one is, is particularly important, listen up. There's no evidence that the, the blessedness of Mary, the, that the reason why she'd, be, why she'd be called blessed throughout all generations, uh, there's, no reason, there's no evidence that that is because she has a special intercessory role to play on behalf of the saints. In fact, there's no evidence in the Bible that human beings are ever supposed to talk to deceased people, Mary or, or anyone else. In fact, there's much evidence in the Bible that human beings are never supposed to talk to deceased people, Mary or anyone else or any other saint. Uh, the Bible calls that mediumship. You're consulting a medium. You're trying to cross over, if you will. And that is something that is strictly forbidden. Christians stay away from that. There's strong warnings about dabbling in that stuff. When you dial up uh, the spiritual realm outside of the parameters that God gave us, you don't know who you're going to get on the other line. And I got a word for you. Demons are liars. Uh, they may tell you that they're your mother, but they're not, and they can lead you astray. Stay away from that. Uh, there's no, from a Christian perspective, and this is the real theological point here, if you understand who Jesus is, you understand that you don't need another human mediator. We already got one. There's one mediator between God and man. It's the man, Jesus Christ. The reason why we don't need to go to, through human beings to get to God is because God has become a human being to get to us. Amen? In Jesus Christ, God has come down to us. In Jesus Christ, God has gotten close to us. In Jesus Christ, God has made a way for us. In Jesus Christ, God has shown us his heart, his innermost heart. In Jesus Christ, we see the tenderness of God, the mercy of God, the love of God. And the grace and the mercy and the love that is revealed in Jesus Christ is a grace and a love and a mercy that even Mary or Joseph or St. Jude or St. Michael or any other angel couldn't hold a candle to. It's the love and the tenderness of God Almighty. The thing that was driving me as a kid to be infatuated with a statue was because I was longing for tenderness. Is there somebody up there who, who has got something other than, uh, than an austere gaze towards me? Is there somebody up there who will have mercy on this wretched second-grade sinner who can't seem to go a day without getting in trouble? I was longing for tenderness in a, in a social environment where I wasn't getting a lot of that. My heart was craving a mother's love. But what I discovered later on is that that mother's love and that tenderness and that, that assurance and that mercy is found in the person of Jesus Christ. God even has a feminine motherly side to God. Uh, in, in Isaiah uh, 49, it says this. Uh, the Lord says about Zion or Israel, they're saying, the Lord has forsaken me, the Lord has forgotten me. But then the Lord says, no, 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 no. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast? God portrays himself as a nursing mother. And have no compassion on the child she has born. And even if she could forget, I can't forget. I can't forget. You see, I've engraved you on the palms of my hand. Perhaps a reference to the future crucifixion. And your walls are ever before me. What we find is that in Christ, 
God's perfect motherly love is revealed towards us. God's perfect fatherly love is revealed towards us. God's perfect friendship love is revealed to us. In Christ, God's perfect romance love, Ephesians 5, is revealed to us. In Christ, God's Savior love is revealed to us. And the only one we need to talk to on the spiritual side is Jesus Christ. The only one we need to pray to is Jesus Christ. The only one we need to worship is Jesus Christ. The one we should seek advice from is Jesus Christ. The one, the only one we need to keep our eyes fixed on is the person of Jesus Christ. So if you're hungry for tenderness, and we all are, go to Jesus Christ. If, you're high, if, you, if you need assurance, go to Jesus Christ. You need love, go to Jesus Christ. You need protection, go to Jesus Christ. Uh, you need the Spirit of God in your life, go to Jesus Christ. You need strength to go on, go to Jesus Christ. You need a peace that passes understanding, go to Jesus Christ. You need a joy unspeakable and full of glory, go to Jesus Christ. You need some self-esteem, go to Jesus Christ. You need some life from God, go to Jesus Christ. You need to know where you're going in life, go to Jesus Christ. Don't dial up some unknown personage on the other side of the spiritual realm. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus Christ. I thank God for Mary. I really do love Mary. And, and God used her to minister to me as a child. But don't go to Mary for life. Go to Mary's son. The one that Mary herself went to for life. Mary's blessedness is not found in any of those things. So what is her blessedness found in? What does it mean to say she would be called blessed throughout all generations? As usually happens, you can find the answer if you just pay close attention to the text. And so here's what it says in the text that we read this morning. Elizabeth says, Blessed is she, referring to Mary, who has believed what the Lord has said would be accomplished. The blessing of Mary is in what the Lord accomplished through her, and Mary is blessed because she had the faith to believe and receive that. Today, when we hear blessing, we usually think about our personal benefits. I'm blessed because of the personal benefits I've gotten from God. And God does bless in that way. But what's really interesting is that, is that uh, Mary, uh, if you're talking about personal blessings, she didn't cash in much on, on the fact that she was the one chosen to uh, give birth to the Son of God. If anything, you could argue that, that Mary's life was harder because of the vocation God called her to. Um, uh, you know, she lived in poverty most of her life, didn't cash in that way. She had a reputation all of her life for, for being one who uh, gave birth out of wedlock or became pregnant out of wedlock. And in first century Judaism, that was something of a stigma. Uh, she had to watch her son get brutally crucified and in all likelihood, she was persecuted along with most other Christians in the first century and was likely put to death under the reign of Nero. Mary didn't cash in a lot on a personal level uh, by being called to this vocation. Now, the, the scripture does show us that God loves to personally bless us. But it also teaches that there's a far greater blessing than personal benefits. The greatest blessing, and this is why Mary is called blessed, the greatest blessing is being used by God. The greatest blessing is, is having God accomplish something of kingdom value through you. Mary would be blessed for all generations to come because God used her to bring forth something that would bless all generations to come. Mary was blessed because she was a blessing. This is what I call the Mary principle, if you will. It's why I call the kingdom a Mary-blessed kingdom. 
The greatest blessing in life is found in blessing others. I'm a man who is blessed, personally blessed, in a lot of ways. I've got reasonably good health. I've got, uh, I've got a house. I've got a car. I've got real funky, cool clothes to wear. I've got food on the table. Uh, in terms of the world scale or the world totem pole, if you will, I'm close to the top. And, and most of us in this congregation right now are in the same place. We are a personally blessed people. But the thing that gives me the most satisfaction, that gives me the most joy, that brings about the most peace in my life is not knowing that I've got a house and a car and clothes and food. It's rather when I see that something I said or something I did made some difference in somebody's life. I'm a blessed man because sometimes I'm able to see God use me to bless other people. When I get a testimony, I got one yesterday that just made me cry. And I just thought to myself, I am, I am so blessed to be in a position where God uses me like this. Or when I see God use my small group uh, to, to bless somebody and make a difference. Or when I see God use this church uh, to bless people and make a difference. And I have a role in this church. Then I count myself blessed. There is no paycheck, no payback, like the paycheck of, 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 of the satisfaction of seeing that God used you to reach another person. The greatest blessing, the greatest joy is seeing what God can accomplish through you. God does love to bless us personally, but the far greater blessing is in using us to bless others. In fact, according to Scripture... The main reason why God blesses us personally with stuff is to empower us to be a blessing to other people so that then we can experience the far greater blessing of being a blessing. The main reason why God loves to bless us personally is so that we can be a blessing to other people and then experience the far greater blessing of being a blessing to other people. It's the kingdom principle. It's the Mary principle. Here's what it says in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Paul says, remember this. And whenever Paul says, remember this, he's saying, heads up, pay attention now. You've been sleeping so far, but don't, don't miss this one. He says, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each person should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. That's why the New Testament principle is not some law uh, percentage point that you can congratulate yourself if you make and condemn yourself if you don't. Rather, I mean, there are guidelines uh, to kind of give us a heads up on, on, on where our giving should be, for sure. That's what the whole tithing thing is about. But, but what God wants is for a people to really, in faith, see the principle of how the kingdom operates and to have joy, to count it a privilege to participate in this. God loves a cheerful giver. And God, listen to this, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that, everybody say so that. So that in all things and at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. The reason why God loves to pour out personal blessings on you is so that you can so that. I, I got that last night. I was so proud of myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See. S-O-T-H-A-T, for those of you who are still a little behind the, 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 you know, the times there. S-O-T-H-A-T, S-O-W-T-H-A-T. He gives you that so that you can sow that, so now you can get more of that, so you can sow that. He makes grace abound to you so that at all times you can abound, you can overflow in every good work. And then Paul goes on, it gets better. Now, 
He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that, everybody say so that. So that you can sow that. So that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. God loves to personally bless us, but even more he likes to bless through us. The main blessing of having grace abound to you is that now grace can abound through you. The blessing is that you get to be a blessing. We are a blessed people because we get to be generous. We are blessed. We get to give stuff away. We are blessed. We get to serve others. We are blessed. God gives us gifts so that we can sow that. We can sow seeds in others. We're blessed because we get to give money away. We're blessed because we get to give food away. What a blessing to, to be able to come together and, 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 and get our food here and just know that there's going to be a couple thousand people who will have a dinner who otherwise wouldn't have a dinner because we were in a position where we could give. Uh, that, that is a blessing. We get to come together and fix up elementary schools. What a, how blessed we are. We get to pool our resources to have a counseling clinic and see marriages healed and, and strongholds, people freed from strongholds. What a blessed people we are. We get to come together and send out people like, like Ike, Pastor Ike, and Win- that's not Pastor Ike, uh, but, but, <laughs> fooled you, Dan, gotcha. Pastor Ike and Win Tranberg. You know, we, we pull our resources together to send her over to Cambodia, and, and, and now she's up there going up and down the Mekong River 12 hours a day to these people who give medicine to these, these Vietnamese refugees who otherwise would never get medicine, giving food to people who otherwise would never get food, uh, bringing the gospel to people who otherwise would never hear the gospel. This little petite lady has, has est- helped establish five churches, church planner, in, the, in, the, in these uh, uh, refugee camps. And we have a role to play in that. Man, that just rocks my boat. It just jazzes me. That is the greatest joy in life, to know that we get to have a life that counts. Our life gets to be significant. We get to partner with God and seeing the kingdom of God go forward. We are a blessed people. There is no blessing like that kind of a blessing. <laughs> Amen. 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 What, 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 uh, what, what 2 Corinthians 9 really illustrates, it's, it's what I call kingdom economics. It's, just, it, it's, it's, a, it's a funky kind of economics. And it doesn't just apply to money. It applies to every aspect of our life, but it includes our money. And sometimes what we do with our money is one of the best indicators for where we're at in every other area of our life. But the kingdom economics is that, is that you, you sow, and then you reap what you sow so you can sow more, so you reap what you sow so you can sow more. It contrasts with the world economic mindset. In the world economic mindset, how things work, there's a, it, it's a zero-sum game. There's only so much goods to go around. There's only one pie, and everyone wants a slice of the pie. And if you're thinking in, in this finite, win-lose, zero-sum game, then for me to give away something means I have less. And in this zero-sum game, everyone wants their fair share of the pie, so... Uh, human history and human culture is mainly about people scrabbling, competing with one another, trying to get a bigger slice of the pie. Everyone wants their fair share, and when they get their fair share, they all of a sudden decide that it, it's not yet fair. They want a bigger slice, and so they get a bigger slice, and then they redefine fairness again, so they go for a bigger slice. But the bigger your slice, the smaller someone else's slice. For, for you to win, someone has got to, to that degree, lose. It's a finite, zero-sum game. That's how the world, uh, the world thinks. But seeing the kingdom, it's a very different thing. The kingdom operates with an infinite sum game because we believe there's an infinite resourceful God who's fueling the whole thing. And whereas the world economic 
program is a win-lose game. This is a win-win game. The cycle is this. The more I sow, the more others are blessed. The more others are blessed, the more I'm blessed. The more I'm blessed, the more I get to sow. And the more I get to sow, the more others are blessed. And the more they're blessed, the more I'm blessed. So the more I get to sow, so the more they're blessed. The more they're blessed, the more I'm blessed. So the more I get to sow and I sow and they're blessed, I'm blessed. I sow, they're blessed, I'm blessed. And it goes on and on and on. And now you're in this cycle. You're in this groove. You're in this kingdom zone. See, this is, this is God's plan for the world to operate. There's no shortage of resources it's just a matter of, are, are there people who will have the faith to step into that? The greatest blessing in life is stepping into this cycle. Not just with your finances, but with every area of your life. It taps into what Jesus said when he said, if you lose your life, you'll find it. Cast your bread upon the water, and it will come back to you. Uh, good measure, pressed down, overflowing. Now, like everything else in the kingdom, it takes faith, faith to step into this. The natural mind is conditioned by the world economic system, the zero-sum game. The natural mindset goes, mine! And we hang on to it, my precious. i got to hang on to this. Uh, th- th- that's the natural mindset. It takes faith to say, I'm going to sow with what I've got and believe that the greater blessing is that God will use that to impact somebody else. And then God will, will, will come, you know, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. That's what I'm talking about here. You, you, you sow what you have to bless others. It comes back to you so you can sow more to bless others. But it takes faith to step into this. This is why Mary was blessed because she believed. She believed what God could accomplish through her. Which means this, folks. The kingdom question is this. How much, if you want to be blessed, the question to live in is this. How much do you believe God can bless others through you? That's the kingdom question. And the way to get started is just to start. Just start doing that. Just start sowing seeds. Start living in the question, how can God bless others through you? How can God bless the ministry through you? How can God bless your small group through you? How can God bless your family and your neighbors through you? How can I be a blessing to others? We need to ask that on an individual level. We need to ask that with our small groups. Small groups be asking the question, how can we, when we come together, bless others? There's times where you got to... You, 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 you want to uh, get to know one another. There's times where you worship God. There's times when you study the Bibles. There's times where you just party. But there's also got to be times where you say, what project can we take on to serve others? I get so blessed when I hear about what our small groups are doing out there. A ton of stuff. Man, that's a blessing. That's the kind of question we need to be living in. And us as a corporate body, the question we live in is simply this, how can we bless others? Because we know that when we sow, we'll also reap, which empowers us to sow more, which empowers us to reap, and now we're in that kingdom cycle. And you'll discover that God honors his word. The more you sow, the more you reap. The more you reap, the more you can sow. The more you sow, the more you can reap. And I'm not just talking about finances. I'm talking about every area of your life. I'm talking about mainly that satisfaction that comes from knowing that you were a blessing. Now, you can't turn this into a formula. God will not be boxed in a formula where he becomes your stockbroker and you invest money just to get more money. No, you're missing the boat if that's how you're thinking. And there are times where I have, and I'm sure some of you have felt like you're supposed to sow some seeds, and sometimes it maybe was pretty radical financially, and it didn't right away come back to you. And so you're in this position where you're saying, God, uh, any time would be a fine time to come through and you know that principle you talked about well you, you, you can't make it into this little formula here now god will bless you in other ways there's still a satisfaction of knowing that you obeyed god and he's going to use it to bless the kingdom uh but but you can't turn it into a formula still it is a vital principle let me close by saying this is anybody here miserable 
Uh, I, there probably are a few people who are miserable. Some people are just miserable. You, you just can't find happiness in life. And, and I don't want to be oversimplistic here, but it might be because you're living in the wrong question. It might be because you're living in the question, how can I get blessed? Which immediately leads to the question, why aren't I more blessed? Which then leads to a life that's always striving to get a blessing. You're all, you, live in, you live in the reality that you didn't get a, a fair slice of the pie. Uh, you, you didn't get a, the, the slice of pie you got with your personality was, you got short in on that one, and, and, and you didn't get a big enough slice of the pie on intelligence, and a big enough slice of the pie on your, on your talents, and a big enough slice of pie in your first marriage, and a big enough slice of pie in your upbringing, and a big enough slice of pie in your job, and you've got the short end of the stick all the way around, and you're miserable, and you're wondering why. Where's my fair share of the pie? What about me? And that question will always make you miserable, even if you happen to get a bigger slice of the pie. That question is addictive. In fact, our culture is addicted to just that question. So we join the rat race scramble, trying to fight others to get a, our fair share of the pie. I encourage you to live in an entirely, entirely different question. Live in the question, how can I bless others? How can I bless others? Uh, you might right away be thinking, oh, uh, you know, I don't have much to bless others with. I, I didn't get a fair share of the pie. I don't have, you know, and you're just going in that negativity zone. Uh, I have nothing to bless others with. Well, you know what? You're breathing. You got something. You got some seeds to sow. You got a smile. Use it. Uh, bless somebody with a smile. You got, you got a mouth. Use it to bless somebody with a mouth. Uh, you got a hand. Pat somebody on the back. Start sowing seeds. I don't care if, I don't care if all you've got is a widow's mite. <laughs> See, God doesn't look at the, the, the quantity of what you got, whether it's money or talent or whatever. He's looking at the heart that you've got. And if you start sowing that, There'll be a blessing there. Start living in the question, how can I use the little that I have to bless the ministry, to bless others around me? Live in that question, and you just might find some morning you wake up happy. You just might find that. Because see, and even if you're not, you're not going to be noticing it because you now took that out of the equation. You live, you live with the mindset, how can I bless others? That's the kingdom. And as you live in that question, then God says, oh, you know, I'm, you're faithful and little, I'll make you faithful and more. Here, here's some more stuff to give away. You sow that, it comes back to you, and now you're living in the kingdom zone. Now you're living out of the Mary principle. It is the principle that runs the kingdom of God. How is God calling you to sow seeds? Just obey. Sometimes it's radical. What I did here, that's a major seed-sowing thing. That's radical. Most of the time, he doesn't call us to do that, but he might. But, but just obey God, start sowing seeds, and watch what happens. Watch what happens. And the main thing that will happen is a sense of peace and joy and contentment. And now you, like Mary, can be called a blessed person. Praise God. I'm going to close in prayer that the Holy Spirit will seal this message in our heart. Uh, I, I, just, I want you to know that when I'm done praying, uh, you can come forward, uh, and there'll be a prayer team up here who would love to pray with you, whatever your need may be. Whatever the need may be, come forward and, and receive prayer if, if, if you need to. If you're not a kingdom person, which means you, you haven't surrendered your, your life to Christ, you're still Lord of your own life, I encourage you to stop that and surrender your life to Christ. Up here to my right, your left, we'll have a person at this table uh, who would love to explain to you uh, what it is to become a, a kingdom person and start walking in this, uh, this, this, this kingdom principle. Can we stand and, and let's just, uh, once again, agree in prayer. Close in prayer. Just agree with me as I, as I, I end it this way. Father, uh, we just thank you for the opportunity to be your kids, uh, for calling us to be part of your army. Lord, we just uh, want to step out in faith. Uh, Lord, we believe, but help our unbelief. 
Give us the faith to step into this zone where we really trust the infinite, resourceful God to take care of all needs, Lord. Uh, Lord, give us a heart that seeks first the kingdom of God and trust that all other things will be added unto us. Lord, with our talent, Lord, with our time, Lord, with our energy, Lord, with our attention, and Lord, with our finances, help us to be kingdom people, kingdom stewards who sow and reap and then sow and reap and sow and reap. As we go out of this place, Lord God, we want to sow seeds wherever we go and trust that we'll reap We'll reap according to your will so we can sow uh, even more. Thank you for blessing us so that we can sow that. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Go out and sow seeds.